Well, hello everyone. This is Leilani Coffin, your host of the Edu Jedi podcast series. Glad to be here again. I am, of course, a proud Edu Jedi Grandmaster and the CEO of Learning Council News Media and Research. And I have with me today Christy Shelley, who's the Senior Director of Emergent Bilingual Curriculum from Lexia, which I'm super excited to talk to her about what's happening in this space. So we're going to be talking about heritage relevant digital learning design. Now I'm a huge UI UX uh, follower of best trends and I get really interested in how you really engage kids. It's different than the old days, right? It's not the time when you just write stuff on the board. It's now uh, how big is the button? Is the navigation any good? But we're gonna take it to a whole new level today with Christy. So hello, Christy. Hello, Leilani. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. All right. So, you know, I love to talk about professional grade UI UX. And so as I'm welcoming you, I want to get into first, like, give me a little sketch. What's unique now about, I mean, it's probably going to take an hour. So when I say little, like, yeah. Um, What's unique about Lexi English? Because I know you have speech recognition tech and adaptability in there, but I want to hear your sketch the way you guys communicate it out to the masses of educators and administrators out there, because you're probably on point with what they're asking for. So your sketch. Okay. So Lexia English is a K-6, so kindergarten through sixth grade um, Mm -hmm. product that helps promote bilingualism or multilingualism. And that's kind of the angle that we take, Um, you know, from day one, we approach this program with an asset model, which I think makes it very unique. Um, We came in, you know, right away with how are we going to honor our learners first and foremost. So I think coming in with that angle really helps the UX and UI kind of all come together Mm -hmm. and not just that team, but, you know, our writers, our, um, our engineers, our art and creative guys and gals, they were able to really start with us from the beginning and build this foundation that then led to a lot of unique pieces to this product. So first and foremost, just from an education side, we get students talking. So right then and there, we're flipping the classroom model. Traditionally in a classroom, who's talking? The teacher, right? I know I was a teacher. I was totally guilty of being the one talking, talking, talking. And in fact, there are studies that say that teachers talk 80% of the time in the classroom. So what we wanted to do was actually flip that model because the only way to learn a language is to actually speak the language. So in order to make this happen in an interactive atmosphere, we use a technology of the speech recognition engine. So we know that a teacher can't be sitting down individually with one child all the time. So we created this program, Lexia English, that's almost like that, where they can sit and build that confidence in English while speaking on to characters on a screen. And then the teacher, we, we have a lot of wonderful um, pieces that the teacher can use to help support them. But we wanted to build this environment that made them comfortable, that they could practice speaking English, whether they're a beginner, a newcomer, just learning this language, or 
They are, you know, what we call the LTEL, right? Those that long-term English learner. Those are the students that have maybe been in the education system for a long time and they still haven't gotten over that hump. And we have found that one way to do that is to talk more, right? So let's take not just, you know, like our interactive English, but let's talk about academic English and let's get our students talking using academic English. And then that shows through their writing, through their reading, it it translates into so many other spaces. So getting the students talking, using our um, speech recognition engine to then score what they speak is a huge part of what makes us unique. And then the third part that I kind of teased a little earlier is that asset model. We know they are coming in with a language, right? They have a language that they've spoken at home, some of them multiple languages. And instead of looking at learning English as a deficit, we call it the asset model because we're looking at it as a celebration. We understand that learning a language is awesome, right? If you were going to go and learn a new language, wouldn't people celebrate you? Wouldn't they be so excited and happy for you? We want to do the same thing with our learners in the classroom today. They're learning another language and that's just going to make them be able to do so many other things, whether it's cultural connections, whether it's doing their spelling test this week, whatever it might be. We know that by putting on that asset lens to this product, it's going to just help them shine even more. Yeah, I can really see that. Okay, so I just want to boil down one thing that I'm like, that's my hugest takeaway so far. You're interacting vocally with an individualized program. Now, I remember taking French and German, which I remember nothing of (laughs) in high school. Um, Maybe au revoir, right? That's about it from the French. And I am really seeing that it's probably because It was all sit and get and tests. And we weren't vocalizing anything because we were in a whole group situation. So what we boil this down to then is this program initiates true individualized vocalization. Yes. Huge. That is huge. So anyway, I, I just wanted to make that comment right there. Yeah. If, and if I could just add, you know, I've, I've been um, in the education business from a classroom teacher to an educational consultant to owning my own educational company with, with Maya, who you've, you've had on Maya Goodall, um, you know, into building content and products for over 20 years. And I've never, I know I'm really biased, but I've never seen anything like this. Traditionally, what happens, and I know this because I've use these products. And I've been with companies that have had these products. You'll typically take a literacy program. And as I like to say, make it louder and slower and call it English language development, (laughs) because that's usually what they do. Right. So what we, we are completely turning this around. We are looking at standards. We're looking at language proficiency centers. Everything we do is driven on language proficiency standards. What does a student need to do at this point and this point and this point to get to that next point? And all of that can be um, exaggerated through just talking, right? Just learning. You, you have to speak the language or to learn the language. I said that earlier and I'll say it again. And it's, you have to master the oral language in order to master the written language. That's a saying in literacy. And it's so true on so many levels. So that 
is what makes us unique is that we are conversation first, speaking first, building that, that language confidence um, for our students. Yeah. Well, I know the science is that even babies, their first learning methodology is mimicry. Yes. Which is basically copying. They don't understand what they're saying early on, but they understand if they vocalize like the parent around them, they're doing something. And it's sort of a mental pathway. I know you have the science behind all this. I know you don't, probably don't want to get all the way deep down into that. But but everything you just said indicates that this is a mini revolution in actually using what is the human natural method of learning. It sort of sets up those mimicry pathways in your brain. So it's not cerebral only learning of language. It's actually learning the way we naturally learn. So I, I love this. This is awesome. Yes. And I think too, I also have a background in literacy. So I think we often talk about oral language and that's phonemes, right? And being able to, you know, what's the first sound in chat, being able to, to cut off that ch- and, you know, what's the last sound to being able to understand those phonemes. And that's oral language that you get within literacy and that helps you to decode, right? So if you take that into print, we can now decode. But we are looking at oral language from a language view versus a literacy view. And that's another difference too, because we're looking at that, um, like you just said, like a a baby learning a language. It's obviously different when when our students are older and they have different brain pathways that they use to to pick up the language, but they're a hundred percent capable. They all have other language or languages that they learn and they're, they're capable of taking on another again, we're just twisting the model a little bit and that it's different than anything that's out there today. Hmm. Let's go into another thing, which is really the heart of this conversation, because the title of our talk today is really heritage relevancy. And that speaks to me a little bit about what you talked about earlier, which is the comfort zone visually and auditorially for the individual user they're not entering a world that looks so alien to them and sounds so alien. There's even been a care factor with your UI UX on heritage. So talk to me about maybe the characters that the students use in the program. You know, they pick out little avatars or maybe have like unique accents. Can you describe all that? Absolutely. This took a lot of time to develop. We took a lot of care uh, a lot of research. We hired some out, outsourced some research to make sure we were getting this right. We looked across the United States because this product was built for U.S. education right now, and someday we hope to adjust the model and make it an international. But we looked at the top languages spoken in the U.S., and from that, besides English, from that. We then did kind of a ratio of, you know, we have a lot of Spanish speaking children in the U.S. So we have the most Spanish speaking native language speakers in our program. And we created 17 characters. So they're from all over the world, all different cultural backgrounds and languages. And you learn about them as you go along. But one thing that stands out the most that people notice right away, besides the visual is they all have what we would say are accents. 
And technically we all have accents, right? My, my husband's from Boston. I'm from California. So you can, obviously we have some differences. In fact, my daughter often points them out, (laughs) but if you think down to a native language and when you're learning a new language, you're going to have some sort of an accent. So we wanted to make sure that our characters were mirrors to our students. So we call it windows and mirrors. We want to make sure that there's a window, that they're being able to see other cultures, hear other people speak, learn about other experiences. But we also want mirrors. When they turn on Alexia English, we want them to see themselves on the screen. And so that's why we made these characters you know, in a similar fashion, maybe having some have like really what we would say a thick or stronger accent. Some it's very light, some you can hardly tell because when you look at the students that are using our programs, that is them. They're at a wide range. Everyone's in a different place. We wanted to make sure that that they felt like they were being seen. So that's our, our mirror so that they, they can um, feel that way. And um, we wanted to make sure that they also had different backgrounds in the sense of some are living in other countries and learning English, and some are living in the U.S., and some were even born in the U.S., and they are also learning English. It's about 80% of kindergarten through fifth graders, 80% of our emergent bilinguals, also known as English language learners, are born in the United States. So even though they're born here, their native language, the first language that they learn is not English. So we wanted to make sure that we even had characters on the screen that represented that because we have a lot of our students that actually are in the same situation. Hmm. The other thing that we wanted to make sure that we modeled was that Everyone has their own way of speaking and talking. And no matter how you speak English, it's perfect just the way it is. That's awesome. Is that stat that you just cited, is that mostly Spanish? Because I know talking to, like, I think it was a Salt Lake School District superintendent and quite a few other districts, they had 180 languages they were teaching to. I was surprised. I'm like, Salt Lake, really? So there's that many countries where the families come here and then their kids are, you know, their, their parents are natively speaking some other language and could be any, you know, like there's so many languages in the world and then they get to school or they were born into that here. So what's your percentage thinking on that? You know, I don't have the stats on that. I would lean just from my experience in, in this business. I would lean into a majority being Spanish speaking, but where I taught in Southern California, I had a um, large Spanish and large Vietnamese speaking um, mm. community. And it was the same, very similar there too. They were, you know, born there and that was, that was their first language, which is wonderful. They, they get to live in a community and they get to experience their culture, right? Right there in their neighborhood and be able to become bilingual, which is amazing. And that's what we yeah. want to celebrate. Yeah. I always feel it's a shame that I'm not actually bilingual. I think I tried, you know, but I didn't have this program. So I'm bummed out. Um, (laughs) So, so let's talk about these right accents helping to actually personalize. Is there a little bit of dialect shift too in there? Like, did you guys address that a little bit as well? Cause you know, different parts of the world, Spanish is not the same at all. Right. One way that we've addressed that is actually through our speech recognition engine, which is pretty fascinating 
first and foremost, it's been around for many years. And so it's been trained. And, and the more voices go into that speech recognition, the more it gets trained and gets better and more precise. So it actually can go down to the phoneme level. Mm. So for example, I mean, I, I'll go back to just English, like my husband and, 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 and me, like he could say, you know, that is a car. And I could say that is a car and the speech recognition engine is still going to accept that because that's his accent, right? It's kind of trained for different accents. Mm. And so our learners can still have those little phoneme differences, which is, which is normal, right? When you're learning the language, I, you know, I'm, I study Italian and I definitely do not have that perfect accent down by any means, but it's something that the speech recognition you know, helps with machine learning is amazing. And the technology that we have is pretty awesome. Yeah. Some people would even say that, that speech recognition is approaching AI level status. Someday. Yeah. I think I might agree with that. And, and we took a, a really very careful study. We brought a group of humans, we call them the human graders, mm-hmm. and we had them grade against the SRE to try to get as close as you can. What to is it? SRE? The SRE is the speech recognition engine. Okay. So we tried, so we tried to match as close as we can the human accuracy to the SRE, the speech recognition accuracy as we can to try to make it as human-like as possible. And that's something that's ongoing. We've done that multiple times. And as our product grows and more students get on it, we can continue to, to do that and kind of make sure that we are scoring them and those words that they speak are as accurate as if a teacher were listening to them. That's awesome. So this whole conversation leads me to say, you know, kind of what else went into the pro grade user interface, user experience with this product? Because you've talked now about the characters, the accents, the speech recognition, what other sort of thinking patterns and, and, and your designers as they built the software went into this? You know, I'm juxtapositioning you against teacher documents and teacher lecturing, really. Is right. what, yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, there's a lot that has to be thought about. You, know, you have audio, visual, where's the button sitting on the screen? There's a lot of those types of things. But a few things that, I, that were kind of unique. So obviously the characters are really important. And we used, um, and I don't know all the technology terms for everything, but a storm engine that helps to, um, it's, it's like a model. Like if you were to take like a mannequin and digitalize it, and then you could put any character over that, any art over that, and then it, they would all do the same movements, right? So the characters give like head nods when they're getting it right, or if, if they get it wrong, let me shake their head a little bit, like try again. So that's kind of fun. They were able to get it, you know, really interactive. And our goal is that our learners will make a connection with these characters, kind of like they're a friend. And that is a huge component to this, because if you think about why you want to learn another language. So I want to learn, you know, Italian so that I can go to Italy and and go to the best restaurants and, and learn all the best, you know, ways to make pasta where maybe someone has fallen in love. And so they learn a language for that. But we're talking about little ones that are kind of being forced to learn another language, right? We're kind of like, here, you're in the United States, you're going to learn this language. And we want to make sure 
that they have an internal drive to want to learn that language. And one thing with little ones is friends, right? Having a friend that speaks that language. So we really tried to make these characters as cartoony alive as we could so that the students kind of felt that connection and a little more motivated to practice learning English, just like the characters are emergent bilinguals themselves. So the storm engine was huge. So that's a, you know, part of the, the back end um, with our creative team. We also have um, assessment without testing. And that is within the Lexia family. We use this. So every click, every spoken word, everything is recorded behind the scenes and sent data off to the teachers so that the teachers then know exactly how the students are doing and how they can support them. We have a lot of offline materials that they can use to then do mini lessons, maybe pre-teach or reteach something to students in small groups and get them speaking to each other. Because at the end of the day, right, that's what we want. We want them to talk to humans. So we make sure that the teacher has some tools for that, but they have to have that data first in order in order to get there. So I would say, yeah, we've talked a lot about the speech recognition engine, the storm engine, and it really comes down to the user. And so obviously in our population and really in any education, culturally responsive pedagogy was number one. We talked about that asset model from the beginning, but making sure that we're starting with the learner. And I know that that's maybe not a, not a pro grade, but that's embedded within the product. So we had to make sure that as we were developing this product, we were constantly thinking of that culture responsive pedagogy that we can make sure that the students are learning and growing from where they are and meeting them where they are and taking them to the next level. I have to be honest with you. I, I know enough teachers and I know enough about curriculum with a lot of schools that that centering on the student is not always true. <laughs> I don't want to shame anyone out there listening to the podcast right now, but come on. A lot of times teachers are building to the test. Yes. Without consideration of the range of student learning habits and personalities in the room, they're just throwing down the railroad tracks of the curriculum map and trying to get all the content out there. And they're not thinking at this level of a wraparound that is highly engaging and personalizing and all that other stuff. They're, they're having to meet their standards, bless them for trying to get all that done. Right. But yeah, the truth is the actual personalization that can go on is usually couched as, okay, well, we have like a little extra resource for the student that's hard of hearing or some other special need, but that's, that's like how they, you know, anyway, I don't want to get into, you know, that could be a whole other podcast. Something you just said made me think of, um, you know, trying to reach every student. And that's, and that's really difficult. One thing that Maya and I did in the, in the, the core, like content foundation of this, of this product is, it seems really simple, but it's using language frames and the power of language frames is that they're transferable. So I can teach you a language frame of the cup is on the table, okay? But then you can take that language frame, we use the word cup and table as as our content words, and you can use that in math. The triangle is on the square. Now I've taken that, 
the blank is on the blank, that language frame. And I've now transferred it into a different content topic. So they're actually really powerful because as a learner, no matter where I am, no matter what interests I am, I can take this little language frame that I learned in Lexia English and I can put it into my reading or into my social studies or take it home with me and use it in another way. So I think there's lots of ways that we can individually meet our students. And this was one way that we found to be a very powerful way to meet all students. Awesome. Yeah. And I love the way that you, you shared how the quote unquote technology behind that technology, um, the underlying pedagogical, you know, how you teach part of the, how you built the software. I want to turn though now to another topic and then wrap it up. I have been looking at what the analysts have been saying came out of our 2021 survey. And I want to cite three areas to sort of move the dialogue in another direction, Christy. We ask administrators, two big surveys, national surveys, huge amount of response. And then we ask teachers the same three questions. So the questions were about how much time do you spend searching for the digital resources that you need for lessons? Then we asked, how much time do you spend building digital lessons? And then we asked, how much time do you spend on the back and forth digital traffic, distributing those assignments, helping kids with logins, which content they were supposed to have read that they you know, messed up on, student and parent email back and forth, monitoring systems, checking all their app notifications, and any other thing that's more distribution and administration function than actually direct instruction. So three areas. The administrators cited that 33% of their teachers are spending two to five hours a week on just the traffic. So we medianed those three questions. The administrators say 37% of teachers are spending six to 15 hours a week on those three things. 28% more are spending 15 to 30 hours a week on those three things. And 8%, 8 8.6% is potentially spending over 30 hours a week. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a 40 hour work week. I'm I'm Um, trying not to laugh and cry at the same time. (laughs) Yes. So that's just the administrators. The teachers in the mirrored questions, of course, cited more time higher on the scale for all three. So the way I want you to do the final address is professional grade, custom built stuff like this comes with content. It removes that content search. It comes with navigation. It already auto distributes. It's changing the workload of the teacher, but it is scary when you've already also built all your own flat PDFs and you're used to lecturing. So let's talk about this workload shift because our data obviously is showing holy cow. Like, are you serious? Just use professional grade, right? So, so can you talk a little bit about the intentions to reduce teacher workload? Yes. So first I'm going to reach through and give every teacher a hug that's listening to this because I, I feel that I know what teachers have been going through in these last couple of years, how, how much the last 18 night, where we are 19 months yet, I forget. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely been a learning experience for everyone, but I couldn't agree with you more. My job is to do all that research, to build a team 
that can help build products around the best research and deliverables and assets to make teachers' lives easier. I know every teacher likes to customize and do their thing for their class, but we've done that for them too. Where with Lexia English, you log in and the student takes a placement test. So right then and there, we're customizing it already for them. I already mentioned assessment without testing. Every click, everything they speak is also being captured. So we continue to customize and give the teacher exactly what they need. They don't have to go search for lessons. We not only have PDFs if they want to grab and pull students aside, but we also have them in a PowerPoint, which I know a lot of teachers are really comfortable with. They're actually Google Slides. And they can walk through support lessons for the students according to what that data is telling them. So we have a lot of areas that we support them and try to make their lives easier. In the realm of emergent bilingual, in, in the emergent bilingual world, we are helping them on a grander scale because they don't have to wait for that once a year test to see where their students are in language proficiency levels and listening and speaking. Because in Lexia English, they will know that every day. Yeah, I love this. This is so spot on, Christy. I was hoping with this podcast, we're just going to be exposing more people to the facts of the prograde world and where your heart is, right? Your heart is in teacher workload reduction, despite the fact that potentially a lot of teachers are like, oh, you know, stay away. I'm going to do everything myself, you know, and every industry has gone through that in digital transition. I'm pretty sure the grocery clerks did not want those automated check stands. I'm pretty sure that a lot of what's happened in many manufacturing, nobody really wanted it, but it didn't reduce total numbers of jobs across the board. So I just want to make that comment. Any last words of wisdom? Okay. So I want to express how all of our writers were teachers too. I think sometimes teachers are in the classroom and they kind of look at ed tech or publishers as like the other guy, you know, like who's this big publisher in the sky telling me what to do in the classroom. All of our writers and myself and Maya who designed the product, we were teachers we were in their shoes. So we know exactly what it's like to be where they are and trying to serve the needs of students. Go yeah, ahead. I think that's a really good comment to make because yeah, there's there's a little animosity for a lot of there, the publishers. And, and yeah. not you guys, but some of the other ones have not been very nice in some mm-hmm. respects, right? Remember the yeah. textbook days, um, which are largely over now, thank goodness. Yes. But but it's really like what we want them to think of you like is you're their um, minions, right? Like you're, you're, they're out there making the charge to cause learning and they have this army of minions working behind the screen, building stuff, the roads, the bridges, the, you know, skyscrapers that, that you know, students need to uh, learn. And, and that's a different way to think about it. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. 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 I mean, when you're a classroom teacher, you don't have time to do that kind of research, you know, especially in the UX and UI world. I didn't even know what those terms were until I got into publishing and, and ed tech. And yeah. they're such a huge part of, of what the students experience. Yeah. And I, I want to make that comment too, that that right there is the difference between keeping kids who are experiencing commercial grade games 
and and then coming to school and getting a PDF and a lecture, keeping them interested, that's what the pro-grade world is doing, right? Exactly. It's, it's changing the, the paradigm. One fascinating little fun fact about Lexia English is that we have multiple people on our team that are emergent bilinguals themselves. All of our content writers are emergent bilinguals. So they actually have had the same experience as the learners that they're writing the content for. Yeah. Any other hints about the future? Yes. One thing that I can tease is we are adding writing to the product. Ooh. Is in the service of presentation skills because Lexia English is all about talking. So that's going to be something that's coming out this summer, which will be super exciting. Oh, that is exciting. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Edu Jedi podcast report. I'm your host, Leilani Cawthon, and I'll see you here next time as we gather for discussions about the Edu Jedi battle in education.